Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, I have two of the people who work for Leading Agile who are out there helping our customers find their way from the waterfall into a more agile state. And I would like to thank Jan Thomas and Adam Ash for joining me. Um, Jan, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself before we get into our topic for today so people get a, a sense of kind of the things that you focus on in your work? Yeah, sure thing. Um, my name is Jan Thomas, and I'm an enterprise transformation consultant with Leading Agile. Um, and what I do is I help people develop a strategy um, for how to transform their uh, business and software development practices into a more agile framework. Um, and then uh, then I help them implement that plan. Okay. And Senior Vice President and Executive Consultant Adam Ash, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I basically do everything that Jen does. Uh, just uh, Mostly I'm working more with uh, portfolio level folks, but almost everything is the same. Okay. So different titles, pretty, but you're both out there helping people. We are helping people. Get this stuff yes. done. Okay. So the, the, the reason that, that Adam and Jen have joined the podcast today is because one of the things that happens when I teach the CSM and CSPO classes is we create a parking lot, obviously, for topics that aren't, you know, required to be covered in the class. And one of the topics that is on the parking lot, almost every single class is distributed teams. Um, so I wanted to kind of dedicate one episode to that. And Adam and Jan have both worked with distributed teams quite a bit. So um, I'm very appreciative you know, to them for taking some time out of their day. Um, As you should be. I am very grateful because I know you, well, you guys are really busy and you're out there helping people. Um, right. I just sit in my little room and make podcasts. So <laughs> um, before we start with the topic, the one thing that I want to just clarify up front, um, when we talk about distributed teams, at least from my perspective, I'm not necessarily talking about teams that are 14 time zones away. I mean, they could be, but they could also be one state away or across town just teams that are not in the same physical space. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, you know, what are some of the more common issues that you see with distributed teams? And and then we'll get into what kind of advice that you, you might have um, for how people can work through the problems that they encounter with it. Okay. So, Jan, would you like to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Um, so one of the most common things with a distributed team, especially if you're, um, you're all in the same time zone, but not in the same location is, uh, availability and, uh, understanding like when you can talk to someone and when you can't, um, is really kind of a tough thing. And it's that out of sight, out of mind, especially if you have like just one team member that's in a different location and everybody else is in the same spot, that out of sight, out of mind thing gives you know really can be a disadvantage to the remote team member. So uh, if you if you can't, let's say that you can't do anything about that. Like I'm the one guy. Right. I'm at my house. Everybody else is in the office. Um, who's is that anybody's fault? I mean, is that does like the onus of fixing that fall to one side or the other? Do you think? Um, I think that the the big thing is like for the people that are remote, um, it it is. Uh, it's sort of on them to to publish something about their availability. Like, uh, um, especially people take advantage of the fact that they're working from home so that they can be there when their kids get off from school and uh, 
So there's going to be an hour like at, at three o'clock in the afternoon where they're not going to be available because they're getting the kids organized and doing homework or and then sending them off somewhere else or, or something like that. Sure. And if you're not aware of that and you're trying to get them, your your idea is that, well, every afternoon they're just gone. It's not necessarily that they're only gone for an hour, but every afternoon they're not available to me and I can only talk to them in the morning. Right. So. uh so, yeah, uh, so the remote people do have some responsibility of like publishing um, somehow what their schedule looks like. And even if it's something that fluctuates uh, week in, week out, uh, then it, it's uh, nice to be able to see that somewhere. I, I know uh, in one of the teams I had, everybody was in Atlanta except for one guy in Houston. And um, so the guy in Houston obviously was in a different time zone than us. And he switched his working hours so that he could be in our same time zone. Okay. But but he had to, uh, I think there was something like around lunchtime or something, he had uh, special considerations around lunch. And it was only on Thursdays. So you just knew that on Thursdays around lunch, you weren't going to be able to talk to him. So you're saying make them aware when you are going to be around or like I've heard of people setting up office hours. Like you can contact me between these hours. Right. Whatever day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And even if it fluctuates just to be able to, to say that that's, that's what it is this week. Right. Okay. And everybody's aware. So I want to I want to throw one thing in on that because I I was in that situation. I worked for a German company for a while, and I was the remote guy in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. The challenge that I had that I don't think I ever made anybody aware of, or maybe I didn't even like give enough weight to. I'm I'm the kind of person that when I start my day, if I can spend the first three hours just heads down, just cranking stuff out. Then in the afternoon, I'm great for conversations or whatever. But mm-hmm. if I start out my day right away with conversations, my day's screwed. Like by the time those three hours of conversations are over, my I'm shot. I got nothing left. I can't focus. I can't do any of that heads down work. So every day that I had calls with the folks from Germany, by 12 o'clock, I wasn't going to be able to accomplish anything. Because when they would go into their night mode, I was just spent, like my whole focused part of my day was gone. And it was really hard for me to recover from that. And it wasn't anything I ever adjusted to. I think mm-hmm. if if you are, I like the idea of office hours a lot. I think also yeah. if you are the remote worker, you have to be sensitive to your own way of working and your work cycles. And if you can't adjust them, you need to make people aware of that and find a way to talk about it. Yeah. So that was, uh, so I had that, I have the opposite because I'm the afternoon person and I'm like super productive right after lunch, Okay. From lunch till it's time to go home. Um, that's when I want that to be my quiet time and I want all the meetings in the morning. And when I worked in India, um, the client, uh, came online around 11 and then from 11 till about six, there was nothing but client. Right. <laughs> um, so it, it was, so what I, I did to um, combat that was I started leaving the office around 4.30 and coming in earlier in the morning. So I would have more hours. Oh, so you'd start your afternoon earlier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and so I made them cut off their meetings with me uh, earlier than they did other people. Yeah. But it worked out better for me. So, Yes. 
Cool. So trying to time shift your stuff maybe is helpful yeah. if you're the remote worker. Adam, what about you? Do you have anything like this? Have you had experiences with this stuff? Yeah, I've had experiences like that. And, and I've had more experiences actually with folks that are overseas. So they're really, really far away. And so that becomes a different logistical problem. So one part is trying to find the times of day that people overlap their hours. But the other part is making sure that we give enough communication uh, and detail within our communication to kind of mitigate the risk of there are lots of hours in between that we do, we can't speak directly. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that we've been doing is, uh, and we're acknowledging, is the fact that the level of detail in our requirements uh, becomes much greater to reduce that risk, right? Because I want to reduce the likelihood of someone that doesn't necessarily speak English as a first language and they prefer to look at a wireframe or a picture first that we want to make sure we're getting the work that we need back from them because that's a huge risk when people have a question or don't understand something. So that's a huge um, but how do you, How do you on. keep that from being the excuse people use to go back to traditional requirements? Well, we just what we do is we just add the amount of detail we need to feel comfortable that we're going to get back what we need. Um, so we have a level of detail. I mean, that's always the case in an agile, uh, any agile team, is that we uh, the level of detail and requirements has to be enough, and enough maybe is definitely less when you could speak to someone. Okay, but we just kind of um, go back and forth until we're comfortable, really, that we have um, what we need, um, and then. Um, you know, and, and then we just work work it out. So there's just a lot of back and forth and communication and collaboration on doing that. It is important, though, that if you have the ability to, you can um, speak to folks at least at some point during the day. Okay. Right. So let me let me run down some of the common challenges that people bring up in class. So the time zone thing is always an issue. Do either of you know of any solution for the time zone problem other than maybe, like Jen, you suggested shifting your working hours? Is there a way yeah. to fix that problem? No. Okay. No, no. There's not. There's not a great way to do. It. You can. Uh, I know um, here with the client uh, that I've worked with recently, what they do is they they set aside the overlap hours for conversations. So, and then they expand the range. So instead of coming to work at eight, the day starts at seven. Oh my god. So it's from, yeah. I'm not so working from, there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so from in the mornings from seven to 10. Wow. Is the overlap. And so the, it's an hour earlier in the U S and an hour later in uh, India. Okay. So, yeah. So that's, yeah, so, that's one way. Um, other than that, it's, uh, uh, rotation helps a lot. If you can have people rotate to, both locations. So sometimes so you, one team is up late, sometimes the other team is up late, or more no, members of each team. No, you have members of the team come to the other location. Oh, okay. Okay. Physically going to the location. Right. Okay. So you have the, the BA come, the tech lead, the QA people, you swap them out in other, you know, just for two to three weeks or something like that, so that they have that feeling of how the other team is doing. Plus, you get some knowledge transfer that way. Well, that one kind of leads to the thing I was going to ask about next, which is another challenge I hear people bring up a lot is this, it's us versus them. And one of the solutions yeah. that I've heard, a friend of mine from Sri Lanka, they, they put the whole team together for a month on every project. Um, 
but rotating people from one office. So there's always somebody from one place in another. Um, I've, you know, that is supposed to be a great way to solve some of that, you know, those people a, kind yeah, of solution. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any other tips for that? How to bring them to into more of a state where they see themselves like people that are in a distributed environment, see themselves as part of a team, as opposed to, you know, those people from that country are idiots because of X. Yeah. But well, you know, one of the things we've done is that we have uh, basically as many cameras as we can. So when we can look at the person we're, we're speaking with either in a team room or when we're doing our standups or just throughout the day, we kind of want to build some kind of interaction with folks that they get to know each other as people, uh, which doesn't always happen when you're just speaking over the phone or right or, or just voice. So we want to have people visually seeing each other as much as possible. That's assuming that we don't we can't get them together as much as we'd like because that can be expensive. I, I've been on projects where the project is pretty much failed because we didn't bring teams together in the beginning to get to know each other. And these are teams working on the same backlog, but they never saw each other as a team, more as adversaries. It's it's a very different dynamic when you meet the people you're working with in person. What do you guys think about like cultural training? Does that help? Or, um, or not? Well, I, you know, I have, I've done that. Uh, you know, I think it helps. I think it's it's fun. It's something that's kind of fun that people uh, really get into, especially if you have the the teams in different locations actually develop it. Yeah. Um, then it can be really productive. I cannot. I've also seen it be like taken on as a set of rules that you have to live by, and if you break one of these rules, it's the end of the world kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, that that really didn't go over so well. Yeah. Um, the other um, back to Adam's point about the cameras. Yeah, I've I've worked in where it was the always own, where you had the big screen TV at the end of the desk with the camera pointing at you, and it's always on. You can always see the other team. Um, but I've also used the individual cameras on your laptop. Yeah, when we were on multiple floors in the same building, so the developers were on the fifth floor, the QA people were on the third floor. Uh, the BA was uh, in between somewhere. Um, so we would all, we, we had kind of like, you had to have your camera on. Okay. So that, that kind of leads me to, towards one thing that Jim Benson mentioned one time in an interview was that in the studies that, that they've done, the teams that perform the worst, the distributed teams that perform the worst are the ones that are only separated by one floor in a building. Yeah, because people right. just won't, they won't go talk to one another. So how do you, right. how do you get them up out of their chairs into one physical space? Electricity. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I'll give you an example. So we worked at, at a location where the business folks were, the building that we were in was literally one mile from one end to the other and straight through. Okay. And so we had the business, a good 10 to 15 minute walk in the same building from the development teams. And so I just pause for one second. I just want to say that he's not exaggerating because I did that walk with him and it is a mile. <laughs> it is. It is. And so uh, what we did, and, and and so there's, there's no substitute for getting people together. It, it, even in, so distributed, whether you're in the same building or not, what we did was we f actually found a midpoint in the building where we created a team space for everyone to the teams to, to live, but it was a shorter walk for, for people that didn't have to be there all of the time to encourage them to be there when they needed to be. And that, that really 
when you can get people together, there's very little substitute for it, uh, and that's you know that's a solution. It's not always it doesn't seem always practical, but the the value you get out of having people together, especially if you're in the same building, it by far outweighs uh, you know some of the inconvenience that some people think it might cause. Okay. Yeah, the one one thing that we instituted when we had people on multiple floors was mandatory uh, stand up attendance. So if you didn't see each other any other time, at least you saw each other at stand-up every day. So that sounds almost sort of like dogmatic about it, but I guess. Is, it, you know what? It, we didn't mandate that they had to do any other ceremony together. But once okay. they started doing stand-up together, then they voluntarily did together. Oh, so it's like a working agreement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they started to see the value in it because I think that's right. one of the challenges is helping people see the value in that stuff. Right. Sometimes. And you know, I'm a big work from home proponent. Like if you have the work from home flexibility, because yeah. that just can, when your life overruns or something happens to your car or whatever, just makes a huge difference in what you can accomplish. Um, but I do, you know, I look at that as, as, uh, not necessarily your daily practice. Um, so that's to me that's an interesting one because I've been in in situations where people were supposed to be working from home, and I know as a in a management position, I have felt like they're not doing a damn thing. They're sitting <laughs> on that couch watching Matlock all day long. Um, but I know for me, I am fifty times more productive at home than I am in an office. Right, because you're not interrupted by people asking you questions. Yeah, I mean, but but I've got a friend who just started to work from home, and he's really struggling with the lack of the social connection. So I think that in right. the same way that you you might be a morning person or an afternoon person, um, a team finding its own path with whether or not you are more productive in the office and what is the impact on the team if you're not in the office, like you got to balance that as well. Because it's not just other countries. People could just be working from home. Right. I could be working from home. Yeah. And then look, yeah. you know, a great example is we work in a virtual company. Yeah. Um, and so it's really the onus is on the, you know, really the organization to try to bring those people together in some way. Us, we do it through a series of um, monthly meetings and we have um, Slack channels and, and, and other conversations, but it's really hard when people aren't together. Uh, you have to make an effort at it. It's, none of this happens just just yeah. cause, right? Yeah, it's very so, intentional. That's right, all of it. So whether you're mandating someone who goes to a meeting or we have used technology to our advantage to make sure we're communicating better or just more information to, to make people more comfortable that they deliver what's expected, all of these things are very intentional. And it, it all comes back to the fact that the more collaboration and communication you have, no matter your distance, um, the better result you'll have. Yeah, that's so. One of the things I found, I mean, this is specific to our company, but we we had tribes for a while, and one tribe kind of survived. What's <laughs> kind of went away, but I was on the one that survived. And I, whenever I'm not teaching, I still get up, even though it's seven o'clock in the morning for me. But Adam, what you just said is why I'm coming to this point. I I make that choice. Like I've personally decided that it is worth the time for me to get up, even though I hate talking to anyone at seven o'clock in the morning. Um. Being a part of that conversation helps me stay in touch with people. And it's not so much the company is saying you have to do this, but I realize that it makes it easier for me to feel connected to the people I work with if I'm part of those calls. That's I, right. I think finding value that you can bring to the people on the teams 
is a big part of this. And I wanted to ask you guys from a coaching perspective, if there are any suggestions you have for the folks out there, like, let's say they've got a team member who's like, you know, why do I have to be in this thing? I just, I just want to sit at my desk. Um, how do you, how do you show them the value of being a part of this participation? Cause it does take more effort if you're not all in the same space. Um, usually it's like, um, that old try it for a couple of sprints and see kind of thing. Okay. Do um, an experiment. Yeah. So, um, it's like whenever you try to implement new practices, yeah. uh, in any team, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a bunch of people that, that don't want to do it just because that's not what they've been doing in the past or whatever. They don't understand why what they did in the past is not just as good as what you're suggesting. Um, and so, uh, usually to kind of diffuse that, uh, just say, okay, well, we're going to try it. And then, uh, we're going to see, and we'll modify. Um, I know for one of our, one of the teams I worked with one time, we had stand up at a particular developer's desk because he didn't, he came in way early and he didn't like being, um, having to go somewhere else. So he would put up the board and all that on his uh, screen and we would go stand at his desk and do stand up. And then everybody would disperse and leave and he didn't actually have to move. So that was. <laughs> now, did anybody take issue with that? No, I think, you know, it was like uh, they liked it because he was responsible for making sure that the board was up and that, you know, it's one. I think the thing he was complaining about the most is we had it in a conference room. And so somebody would have to come in with their laptop and plug in the thing and get the projector going and dial the phone and all that. And he took care of all of that. So you just showed up and did it and left. So it was, it was quicker and there was less uh, issue okay. with dialing in and everything. So I think that they So there was convenience it. for everybody. He took a little initiative and it made it easier for everyone all around. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So what other kinds of um, tips do you guys have for folks who are working with teams, whether they're, you know, across the country or across town? Um, are there other things that you've seen that are particularly helpful or, or detrimental that people have tried to do? Um, yes. For me, the sound quality is key. I, I can't tell you how many meetings I'm in where they go, well, I can't really hear you, or there's a bunch of background noise. Or Is that uh, mostly speakerphone, or is that just people's phones in general? Uh, just people are trying to do the conference call over their iPhone speaker. Okay. Um, so if you have better sound uh, alternatives and better sound, yeah. it just makes makes a world of difference um oh. also people are doing over ip um ip phone stuff uh and the the quality or their lag or echoing can yeah. be really bad okay cool adam yeah i think that uh mostly the, the most important thing is to make sure everyone you you need to be engaged is engaged and depending on your role on the team and this really comes down to I think the the scrum master and to to most to the largest extent and the product owners secondarily to really be uh, uh, together in making sure there's a lot of communication. Um, they're going to have to take the lead to make sure that both the culture of the team is being um, kind of communicated and, and people are feeling as they're you know are incorporated into this and that 
as we kind of communicate requirements and the needs of the of the team, um, the product owner really needs to step up for that as well. Uh, you know, that's if those two folks take the, those key roles and really um, commit to them, that's the 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 best way we can get some you know real um, good good results out of this system. So the product owner piece is is. I think interesting because I would normally think of of dealing with this as being more the scrum master's issue, but I mean, if the team's going to understand, like you're describing, if they're going to understand what they need to do, that that would fall more to the PO. No question, and, and the fact is, the further away you are, when when you have to have that level of detail and requirement. Um, it really falls to the product owner, and very often in the beginning, it seems like uh, extra extra work to them. Right? Why do I have to do all this extra work um, to really do this? Um, and so it really becomes integral to the process that there's a reason for this, and and there's a benefit from it. And and and, and just from your last point as well, I, I you know once people start doing this, they usually see the result and it's positive. Um, it's getting people to do it initially that's usually harder than than having people see the the benefit of it later. Yeah. Right. Cool. Guys, thank you for doing this. So, um, Jen, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they, you can send an email to jan at leadingagile.com or, uh, let's see, Twitter. I respond to the Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. yeah you can Twitter. <laughs> I'm agile underscore jan on Twitter. Okay. Adam, tell us about your Twitter situation. Yeah, I'm, you can Twitter me. And I'm at Adam Ash, and Ash is A-S-C-H at Twitter. And uh, I'm Adam at LeadingAgile.com. So there you go. Cool. All right, guys. I appreciate you doing this. Um, and for the folks listening, if you have any additional questions about distributed teams or anything else you know, related to Agile transformation, um, you can always send me an email as well. It's Dave.Prior at LeadingAgile.com, and I'll make sure that we include it in a future podcast. So thanks for listening. And thanks, you guys. Thanks, Dave. <laughs>